Welcome back to the program. For years, people have referred to Hollywood as being like high school with money. Well, Hollywood has matured a lot, but today the same might be said of the tech world. Nowhere is that more apparent than in the story of the rise and rise of Twitter. Started by four young guys looking to change the world, the drama of their story would rival anything in the world of high school mean girls. Now coinciding with the Twitter IPO, the New York Times' Nick Bilton gives us the remarkable story of the company and the four men who started it. It's a story of money, loneliness, bitterness, technology, and personal growth, all driven by a grand vision of changing the world. Nick Bilton is a columnist and reporter for the New York Times and also leads its popular Bits blog where he explores the disruptive aspects of technology on business and culture. It is my pleasure to welcome Nick Bilton to the program to talk about his new book, Hatching Twitter, A True Story of Money, Power, Friendship, and Betrayal. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here. In many ways, this story has this Rashomon element to it, maybe because it's the four separate stories, four guys that the stories intertwined. But talk a little bit about the process of getting to the bottom of this story and finding out what really happened as opposed to the origin myth or opposed to what any of the individual members might say about what happened. Yeah, so when I first set out to write the story, I, I believed, I mean, I've been covering Twitter for, for a long time for the New York Times, and I believed that it was a it was a story that everyone else believed. It was this, uh, it was founded by one guy, uh, Jack Dorsey, um, who was from St. Louis, and that that uh, he was, you know, the creator of this, this product. And as I started doing reporting, I realized it was a much deeper story than that. Um, this was a, about four guys who were once very close friends who came together to build this this company that essentially um, uh, tore them all apart as friends too. You know, they uh, they were all involved in one way or another, and they all kind of had a, a big stake in how this thing unfolded. But at the same time, they tore their own friendships apart. And in fact, one of those four, Noah Glass, became disconnected from it entirely. Yeah. So Noah Glass is, is you know really a very sad story in the book. He's um, he's the founder that uh, without him. This thing really would not exist. He came up with the name. He helped realize the idea with uh, with Jack Dorsey. Um, uh, they were actually in a car one night, and uh, um, they had been out drinking and, and dancing. And, and um, Noah was going through a divorce, and he was incredibly alone and lonely at the time. And he, um, as he he was sitting there, and they were talking. And Jack had presented the status idea. Um, of, of being able to update your status, and there were other things that existed at the time like that. There was Dodgeball, um, which was a service in New York. There was a company called TextMob, which was being used um, by certain people in politics. And Noah had this realization that you know he was in this very lonely state, and he thought, well, what if you could take this thing, you could actually use it for um, to connect with your friends um, and feel, you know, as he said at the time, less alone. And that was the thing that essentially hatched Twitter. And he was pushed out of the company very early on. What is it that happened? Why was he pushed out? Well, he was, as he was going through, I mean, the, this is, you know, the typical story of the, the thing that made it, made the, made something great was also the thing that, that, that hurt it. And um, Noah's case, it was, um, it was an example of um, uh, um, what was going on was he was being erratic and he was, you know, kind of... Uh, Telling the engineers to do one thing, and Jack Dorsey was telling the other engineers to do, do something else, and two of them had this idea together, and um, and they both had different viewpoints of what the idea would be. 
And at one point, Jack Dorsey went into Evan Williams' office, the CEO of the, of the company at the time, and he said that if Noah stayed, that, that Jack Dorsey would leave. And, and Jack was a very important engineer, and, and Evan didn't really have much of a choice. And Evan, I think, was very frustrated with Noah, too, because, because of his behavior. But the thing that I think was really sad in the book is that once, once Noah is pushed out, he is essentially forgotten. Um, you know, people don't know who he is. Um, he's never given credit for his role in the company, and he certainly did not become a billionaire. Talk a little bit about how the strife and the conflicts between these guys really played itself out in the final product itself, because there really is this direct line, it seems, between the conflicts they were having, the issues that came up in many cases, and what finally turned out to be Twitter as we know it today. Yeah, so this is one of the really interesting stories, and you know, the book, the book is not a is not a corporate history. It's a it's a um, as some reviewers have said, it's, it feels like it's an espionage thriller. Um, but you know, it's with nerds instead of, uh, instead of <laughs> Russian mobsters or whatever. But um, the the story that I think is really interesting about that aspect of it is that that these four guys, Evan Williams, Noah Glass, Biz Stone, and Jack Dorsey, all had four different viewpoints of what Twitter was. Um, you know, they they all saw it as something that was very, very different from the others. So Noah Glass saw it as a way to be connected with your friends, right, to be able to, to be connected with people and feel less alone. Um, uh, Jack Dorsey saw it as a way to update his status to say what he was doing at that moment in time. And, um, and, and then Evan Williams, who comes from this very small farm town in Clarks, Nebraska, um, and was you know very quiet as a boy. He he saw it as a way to be able to consume news and media, um, and to be able to actually share the things that were happening around you. And then Biz Stone really saw it as a way for conversation. Um, and you know, and those four ideas, while they were very different, they are together what created Twitter. And talk about how it played itself out in a product that is both acceptable to people that are in politics and government and business, and also to teenagers. Yeah, it's um, it, that's that's you know that's something that was really interesting too in the reporting. You know, when you when you look at something now, like when you look at Twitter now, you see it being used for everything. But when I was writing the story, um, I, I I found as it unfolded these instances where it it became apparent that it was it was going to be something else. And continued to do that. And so one example of that was um, there was an earthquake in, in late 2006, a very small earthquake in San Francisco, and and the the uh, the people on Twitter at the time, there's only a few thousand people, but they were all using it in this way of just seeing what they were doing and talking about that moment in the day. And there was and this earthquake happened, and um, and in, in one moment, everyone tweeted earthquake, 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 and, and you know in a very excited, passionate way. And people were like, "Is everyone okay?" And there was this conversation essentially about this news event that, that brought these people together. And they had this realization at that point that this was much more of a service that could be used for news in moments like that and not just a way to kind of say what you were doing at that moment in time, you know, when you were having lunch or something. Secrecy is also, you were talking about a thriller before, secrecy is a big part of this story. Well, the, the right yeah. hand didn't always know what the left hand was doing here. Yeah, it was, I mean, one of the things that was really interesting, I interviewed all the founders extensively for the book and there was a moment that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg tried to buy the company twice. and There was a moment um, where I was interviewing Pistone, and he and I said, oh, you know, I said, you know, the second time that Mark Zuckerberg tried to buy the company, and he said, what do you mean the second time? And I said, you 
know, with Evan Williams, who went down there, he went to Mark's house, and he said, he went to Mark's house? And, you know, I thought that was really fascinating, that, that there was a point where which that they didn't even know certain of the things that were going on between each other. Um, and, uh, and you know, this is, I think, part of, part of the thing that drove them actually all apart, too. You know, Jack Dorsey believed that he was the sole inventor of Twitter and and very secretly went to the media and kind of started to spread that that rumor. And Evan Williams, you know, found out and was very upset. And there was, there was a lot of a lot of this kind of backstabbing that was going on between all these people, and a lot of not a lot of communication. Ironically, in a company that has changed the way we communicate. Talk a little bit about Jack Dorsey because his ambition, blind ambition in many cases, seems to be at the center of this storm. Yeah, he, um, you know, he, when I set out to write this, I had no idea, you know, I, I actually, you know, the, the proposal I wrote for this book was, was painted, painted Jack as a very, you know, sympathetic figure who, who was pushed out of the company early on for power and control and, and unjustly and so on. And as I started doing the reporting, I realized that that was the wrong assumption. You know, Jack had, um, he was very early on when he first started, he moved from St. Louis um, to you know, at San Francisco, he was very quiet. He kind of he grew up with a speech impediment. So in the office at Odeo, they used to joke around that that Jack was um, he was uh, the he's talking monosyllables. And um, and so what happened was um, he was a, this quiet engineer. He he used to do very weird things. One, one example was he would write his phone number on his T-shirt in very large letters and and, and num- uh, numbers and uh, hope that people would call him. Um, he would. Uh, uh, he once went on eBay and auctioned off um, him reading the, the, the book Good Night Moon. Um, and uh, he, he did these very kind of strange things, but, but they also liked him. He was a fun guy to hang out with. He was, um, you know, he had the same interest as Noah Glass, especially. They became very close friends in music and, and other things. But once this, once Twitter was hatched, um, he, he just he became relentless as, as the one who wanted to, to, to take credit for this thing completely. And and not share that with others. And so uh, he was eventually fired in 2008 because he wasn't doing a very good job. And, and while he while that happened, he went off and went on this media tour to, to say that he was the sole inventor um, of the service and essentially wrote Noah Glass and the other founders completely out of the story. And that's why most people have never heard of Noah Glass today. And Biz Stone, one of the other four, was the one that tried to be the peacemaker. He got along with everybody, or at least tried to. Yeah, Biz is a he's a really good guy. He um um he went he, he grew up in um uh in Boston and um he kind of grew up on welfare and, and he um he in a kind of tumultuous household and he had learned to deal with the, the, the chaos in his own home as a child by, by becoming kind of a, a jokester and trying to make everyone feel better. And he brought that mentality to Twitter. Um he uh um he what he did was he uh, he would always try to kind of mend situations and approach them in a, in a very calm and, and collected way, um, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. And uh, um, and he, but he was also, I think, one of the most important characters because that approach was also the approach that he applied to um, to the company. And he believed that Twitter should have a, a corporate ethos that was not corporate, if you will, that that cared about the user, that cared about people. Um, and, um, and he also believed that Twitter should never take a side in something. So there's a moment in the book during the Iranian Revolution where the media wants Twitter to go on and talk about what it's being used for. And Biz said, absolutely 
no way. We, we don't want to be seen as taking a side um, in, in something like this. There's another moment uh, where Jack Dorsey, when he, he kind of comes back to the company, he wants to go and be the, the guy who interviews um, uh, the president of the United States for a town hall, and Biz is adamant that, they, that he doesn't do it because he doesn't want to say, well, why would we do this with a Democratic president but we wouldn't do it with a Republican one? Um, of course, Jack ends up still doing it anyway because he doesn't have that same philosophy. But but I found that it really interesting that, that Biz was the one that kind of created the moral sense around Twitter. One of the things you've talked about is the fact that, that in reporting this book, what you've really discovered is some of the good guys were the bad guys and the bad guys turned out to be good guys. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, uh, yeah, that was fascinating to me because I've, I've written about Twitter and these guys for years and, um, and you know, one person in the story is Bill Campbell. Um, he is known as as the saint in the valley. He People actually say Bill Campbell walks on water. Um, he is the coach that has coached all these huge CEOs, including, um, uh, you know, Steve Jobs and Eric Schmidt. And, and he was the coach that came in for Evan Williams. Um, uh, he was brought in by Peter Fenton, who was another investor, um, and um, and also a big ally for Jack Dorsey. Um, and uh, and Campbell, Bill Campbell was supposedly you know coaching Evan Williams, but in the process was um, uh, was feeding information back to uh, to Peter Fenton and also telling the board that they should get rid of Evan Williams. So you know there are these people that you set out to believe are actually good people, and it turns out they're doing things that are that are not necessarily in the best interest of the people they're supposed to be aligned with. And I just found that really fascinating. You know, I think. Jack Dorsey, everyone sees him as the next Steve Jobs, and as I found in the reporting of this book, that is actually a creation myth that he has created. To what extent did all of this infighting, all of this intrigue, how close did it come at any given point to almost destroying the company? Well, I think it came very close a lot of times to almost destroying the company. You know, before Jack Dorsey was fired, there was a moment um, when the company would, uh, the, the servers were, were um, uh, um, were actually not, uh, there was no backup of all of Twitter. And, uh, um, and the board found this out and, you know, went berserk. There was points where, you know, under Jack's tenure where the site crashed a lot and, um, and they were using text messaging for this site to be, for people to be able to text each other um, via tweets and so on. And, um, and the bills were just racking up. It was like hundreds of thousands of dollars they were paying to keep this text messaging aspect of the, of the service afloat. And, um, and eventually, you know, I mean, the, Jack was given a three-month reprieve to fix things halfway through the, 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 the uh, board members and the founders were, were just like, we got to get rid of this guy. He doesn't know what he's doing. Um, you know, when Evan Williams ran the company after Jack had been fired, um, there were times that the site almost crashed, still having major problems, and um, almost crashed numerous times. One example was when the Russian president showed up to the office, President Medvedev, and he was supposed to tweet very first tweet um, on American soil, and and the U.S. president and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger and all these people were going to retweet and reply, and it was a very orchestrated, you know, political affair. And as um, Medvedev is rising through the elevator in the Twitter offices, the site goes down. Um, and luckily, they got it working just in the, in the moments of time. But it uh, it, um, it you know these were instances where it could have it could have destroyed the company. How was it that Dick Costello finally came to provide adult supervision to all of this? He came from, um, he ran three companies um, before he joined Twitter. Um, one of them sold to Google for $100 million. So he, he made some money and, and he was, you know, a very seasoned um, 
uh, chief operating officer, um, and he was brought in by Evan Williams. They were close friends, and he brought him in in 2009. And Dick um, was um, he was a, a very uh, you know he was a former comedian. He used to be an improv comedian. He'd done shows with Tina Fey and Steve Carell in the past. And he went um, when he joined. Um, he was seen as a kind of uh, the adult that had entered the room. He was in charge of revenue. He was in charge of hiring employees. And he was the Sheryl Sandberg, essentially, of, of Twitter. And um, and what happened was um, Jack Dorsey had kind of orchestrated this coup that would get um, with the board. Um, they had all worked together to get Evan Williams thrown out of the company. And it was I, I you know, in the reporting found that it was Jack's revenge. Um, and um, and uh, Dick essentially the best person to run the company at that point in time, and they brought him. They, they told him that once Evan was out, that they would put him in temporarily. And uh, you know, as the, the story goes in the book, there's a sequence of events that take place that eventually Dick becomes the CEO. Have you seen in, in covering all these guys for so long, and then the extensive reporting in the book? Have they changed in any way? Have they grown up at all? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't want to give too much of the book away to, to the listeners, but but there, there are, everyone changes and everyone learns in some respects. Some people don't learn in a good way, but they definitely change. Um, you know, I think Noah Glass is the person that I kind of really, really felt for in, in the writing of the story, and this is, I think, someone that a lot of people as readers feel for. And Noah was, um, he was someone who said to me, I remember during one interview, he said, you know, more than fame and more than fortune, I just wanted friends. And he got none of that. Um, and, um, and I think that, um, that that was that was really interesting to me. But you know, he goes through this experience where you know he is pushed aside. Um, he's they, he's ignored by his former friends. You know, I, I found it really sad that there were times that he would text message Jack Dorsey years later, and Jack would never respond or email him. He would never respond. And these were two guys that were, were like the best, closest friends they could be at one point in time. And I think while this was all very difficult for Noah, um, at one point he finally gets the realization that 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 he will never have that moment that he would hope for where technologies will connect you to people. He needed to have the human connection. And I think what he went through was, was, was really transformational in that regard. And finally, to what extent is this story, maybe not to the same degree, but to what extent is it emblematic of so many companies in tech in the Valley? Well, this is, you know, you asked earlier, um, you know, I set out to write this and some of the good guys were the bad guys and vice versa. Um, that's completely true. I mean, and, and this is always the case. You know, there's this thing in the Valley called the creation myth. And the creation myth is that uh, that a company is started on the back of a napkin and it is then becomes this successful billion-dollar business. That's not true. That's not the way it ever happens. What, what really happens is that there is chaos and turmoil and grit and fighting and things go wrong and they break and they sometimes work and they sometimes don't. And 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 I think that, you know, the, the story of Twitter was that Jack Dorsey had invented this thing on his own and, and been unjustly thrown out of the company. And the reality was that it was 12 people in a room together that had, invested, had invented this thing um, together, building and talking and exploring and, and experimenting. And, um, and I think that the creation myth makes for a really good corporate story. You can fit it into 140 characters, but it's not necessarily the fair way of telling the story because the fair way of telling the Twitter story is that it was founded by four people um, and it was Noah Glass was an important character, but you won't see his name mentioned in the press. He's the guy who came up with the name, but he never got credit for even that. Nick Bilton, 
The book is Hatching Twitter, A True Story of Money, Power, Friendship, and Betrayal. Nick, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you very much. Nick Bilton, thank you so much. We'll take a break. Thank you. We'll be right back.